Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello Stem Cells at Lunch Digested listeners, I'm Jessica Sells, Public Engagement Officer at the CSCRM and for this episode I am joined by Dr Tamás Koshmaros, a group leader at not one but two institutes, the Earlham Institute and the Quadrum Institute. Tomás' work focuses on host microbiome interactions um, and the microbiome is the collection of microorganisms which live within humans. Thank you for joining us Hello. today. Thank you. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your research and how you spread it across the Earlham and the Quadrum Institutes? Yeah, actually this, the spreading between uh, these two institutes in Norwich is, is quite resembling how my career uh, started and, and going. Uh, but although I started as a biochemist, uh, most of the time since actually my, when I was doing uh, the end of the university, my master's studies, I started working in bioinformatics, mm-hmm. which is, I define it like that when a biologist is sitting in front of a computer instead of any other living thing, <laughs> and, and, and analyzing data that, that other biologists or, 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 or other, other researchers created. And this is a lot of things that we are doing in the Orlam Institute, mm-hmm. which is basically a, an institute where Besides, there's lots of uh, sequencing, so understanding what is in the genome and what, what is happening in the different cell types. Uh, but basically, we are looking at uh, data-driven and, and, and big data-heavy mm-hmm. research, which means that basically we collect lots of data, and with computers and with computer programs, we try to in- identify the meaning of that to get some insight what is happening there. And basically, this is what my group is doing on one side, that uh, to understand specific uh, interactions which we have in our even in our gut because we are we are living as, as as many people knows we are living lots of microbes yeah in the gut and it's not only that they are they are influencing us but basically we really live together so there are lots of people who are saying that basically we are just a, a walking storage of microbes <laughs> uh, because there we have so many microbes in our gut and the interesting thing is that that basically these uh, microbes are regulating ourselves mm-hmm. and we are also regulating what we have in the microbiome so it's really a nice interplay mm-hmm. and these type of complex questions what what we are interested in the Orlam Institute and next to it we have the Quadrum Institute which is actually the, the, we are in a new building it was just opened earlier this year uh, it's specifically focusing on what we have in our food and, and how the microbes are affecting uh, the gut related processes so the Quadrum provides a nice biological context uh, and the Erland provides the resources to analyze it. Excellent. That's a really nice combination. The problem is that this the whole thing is really really complex. Yeah, of so, course. So uh, having just one institute or just one one group really focusing on this is just nearly impossible. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, like you say, there's such a variety of different organisms. And so the talk that you gave today was about how you use organoids in uh, in order to study the microbiome. And um, could you? explain what an organoid is and how you use them to understand gut interactions with bacteria. Yeah, so basically organoids are uh, a new way, a new method to, to specifically look at uh, different cell types we have. It was basically established uh, around 10 years ago mm-hmm. and we can look at specific cell types we have in our gut that otherwise we wouldn't be able to, to, uh, to examine. Uh, conventionally we have cell lines in the lab which are immortalized or cancer related cells and uh, they pro- these cells provided uh, cell lines provide lots of nice data for mm-hmm. biology 
but obviously uh, they are somehow um, artificial or cancer related. And when we are interested about what is normally happening, for example, in certain cell types, then, then there is this limitation with the normal cell line studies. Organoids, on the other hand, uh, are, um, can be grown from stem cells that we can isolate from biopsies or from, from other samples from a mouse, for example. So are the these uh, induced through potent stem cells? So that actually, uh, it's a good question. So actually, uh, both. So yeah. It can be from induced pluripotent stem cells. Uh, what we are doing in our lab is basically just going for, for isolating normal stem mm -hmm. cells already in the gut. Yeah. And these stem cells are already programmed to develop uh, cells that we would expect in the gut. Mm -hmm. And these these called epithelial cells, and it's quite a special thing because this this is one cell with a barrier between the lumen of the gut and our body. Mm -hmm. It's a single cell layer, and um, they contain lots of different cell types. And this this is actually where where I really started interested as a biologist <laughs> that that it's it's really important that these cells are tightly connected to each other. Yeah and what they are producing to regulate the microbiome contents as you said what microbes we have in our gut and and how the other cells getting signals for what we have in our gut is crucial for uh, they call it the homeostasis of the intestine so basically the the balance of how how our body is actually interacting with the environment in which case this is the food we are having mm -hmm. so organize as uh, a really nice model uh, that we can uh, grow mini, well, I would say mini organs, but it's normally it's just this cell uh, layer yeah. containing the epithelial cells. So it's a it's an advantage that you have specific cell types there. It's a disadvantage because it's still not as complex as no. the actual. But it's better than just having normal cell lines that aren't in a structure that aren't kind of providing. Um, at least a partial replication of what it would be like in exactly. a true situation. Exactly. And you can use it to do a very specific analysis. So for example, in my talk, I was talking about a specific cell type, which we can grow in organ, it's called panet cells. And panet cells are, uh, have multiple functions. One of them is that they are producing uh, so-called antimicrobial peptides to regulate the microbiome uh, and the microbial content of the gut. And, uh, and also they are producing other factors that are basically important for, for the renewal of, of, of the epithelial layer. So they are really important. If, if you have issues with the panet cells, uh, then you can have uh, different diseases like inflammatory bowel disease. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the key uh, disease type is Crohn's disease that, that you, can, you can actually uh, have if your panet cells are not working properly. Mm -hmm. And we use this organoid approach uh, to, to understand what a specific aspect what is happening uh, potentially in, in, in these in these cases so following on from that um, I was going to ask you know why is it important to study the gut microbiome but you know you've, you've kind of semi started answering that by saying that there are conditions that are affected by these and so I assume that yeah actually it's to be honest to the answer to the this question is lots of question marks. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we know that there is something there. So for example, just use the example of Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. We know that, 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 that certain changes in our genomes called mutations uh, are, are making us more susceptible uh, to, to develop the disease, but yeah. that's not enough. Uh, there should be some kind of, they call it environmental trigger, mm -hmm. which uh, also known as something. 
Yeah. <laughs> we just don't know what it is. Oh, probably it's related to the microbiome. One yeah. of the evidence for that is that it seems that it's, um, this, this is definitely more prevalent in, in the Western cultures. So probably it's related to what we are eating, mm -hmm. or for example, the issue that we have this hyperhygienic life nowadays. Okay. We are killing all the germs around us, yeah. uh, also the good ones. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's just related that our immune system, if we have some of these mutations, which are not always causing a disease, but making us more sensitive, um, basically it just, it just causes a, 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 yeah, really a trigger, mm -hmm. and then we develop a disease. Mm -hmm. um, that currently we term Crohn's disease, for example, in case of gut inflammation. Well, it's good, I guess, that you have that kind of geographical data that you can draw on. Yes, and, and basically more and more studies are showing that uh, the more cleaner we live and the more specific food type we are having is actually just uh, influencing and, and advancing the development of these different types of inflammatory diseases. Mm -hmm. um, I think the whole thing is related to the fact that, that our body developed together with this, these microbes mm -hmm. in the course of evolution. Mm -hmm. and, and the cells we have, especially these, these uh, cells we have in our gut, uh, are used to having signals from these microbes. Mm -hmm. And that's normal, that, that's really good. Because uh, as my, my son, son who's six years old uh, was watching a cartoon about microbes and then there was a green microbe, which was a bad one, a pathogen, and there was a purple one, which was a good one. And the interesting thing is that in most of the cases, we have good microbes in our cells. So I was telling my son that, yeah, that is working mostly with purple bugs, <laughs> which is obviously, they can have multiple colors. It was more like that, that according to the cartoon. Um, but these purple bugs, <laughs> let's remain with that, uh, are really af uh, effective to, to limit the infection from mm -hmm. these green bad bugs. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that it's not only that these bugs are fighting, in our gut, uh, but also that the purple bugs, which you often call probiotics, uh, are actually helping our own body to fight against the pathogens. Yeah. So it's like a triangle. Yeah. So, so good bugs, good bacteria is beneficial for us to have because then we will have less infection from yeah. the bad bugs. And as well, there is a lot going on in the media about probiotics now that you've just mentioned them. Um, you know, things like, you know, probiotic yogurt drinks, fermented things like kombucha or kefir. They're like super foods at the moment and the, they kind of say that they're going to replenish your good bacteria and help help your immune system, etc. Um, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the, the things that you can buy and consume, can, do you think that they are actually worthwhile and, and real, the effects would be real? Yes, that's a really good question, really, really, really uh, uh, timely. So there are more and more things that, that we hear. I think if you open the TV, probably within three, five minutes, you will see <laughs> something that, that I had that, and after that I was able to sleep better, or walk, or run better. So I'm not a probiotic expert, but mm -hmm. obviously I'm interested, as a gut biologist, uh, how certain bacterial uh, species, we call them, or actually even in high resolutions, we call them strains, which is a even closely related uh, bacteria within those the, the, in the, those terms, how they can affect and help us. What we what we see is that 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 from early life, uh, certain uh, probiotics like bifidobacteria, for example, are really relevant for the babies to establish a good 
uh, microbiome. And the interesting thing is that, that we, uh, by the time a baby reaches uh, uh, two, C, two, three years old, basically their microbiome is getting very similar to the adult one, mm -hmm. and that remains for decades after that. Yeah. Obviously when they are having antibiotics, that, that, that really disrupts this. So that's a different different story. So the point is that the probiotics and, 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 and these bacteria that naturally we are we are getting, so actually the breast milk is, is a great food for these type of bacteria. So that's why we are having it. We are providing basically the food for these bacteria to colonize. And this is the key word here that, that basically uh, it's not enough that we are having these bacteria or we have that, but they should remain in our gut. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that when you're consuming something which is probiotic, uh, it can have a, a basically a short-term effect, but in most of the cases, they are not colonizing. Okay. They do something good, but then, well... It's not a permanent effect. As time goes, basically, they go out from our system, mm -hmm. as, as, as uh, any, and, and the other stuff. So, it's an interesting thing when they can colonize, and what bacteria can colonize. Yeah. And the way how you can imagine it is basically that it's really like working like different layers. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a proper foundation, mm. you will not get the good bacteria to remain mm -hmm. there. So even if you put loads and loads of good ones in, like eat loads, if you don't have that foundation of good bacteria anyway, they won't stay in. They might do a short term. Yeah, it could, it, it could be potentially very good. Yeah, yeah. But if you compare it, or, or if anyone would compare it when, when, when you are getting an antibiotic, yeah. uh, for example, which basically kills most of our, the microbes we have, and during getting the antibiotic, so right after the treatment, you are taking more probiotics, yeah. that's actually quite good, and there's a higher chance that they, they, they remain there. But this is, the, again, so many questions we, we don't know and what, what we need. But just imagine that how easy, in a way, it would be if for certain diseases you don't have to go to the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. You just go to a shop, you buy different yogurts, or maybe just eating some, some dirty vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> Not so dirty, but actually the whole thing shows that, that actually sometimes with all the cleaning, uh, cleaning again, yeah. we are just killing what we need to, need to have. Of course. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Thank you. As you can tell um, here at the CSCRM, we're pretty keen on public engagement and outreach. Um, could you tell us a bit more about your volunteering for the Hungarian and International Talent Support organisations? Yes, no, it's, it's a really great thing. So it all started when I was a high school student. And uh, I, I, I like science from, from, from very early uh, on. But uh, my issue was that, that when the normal high school textbook stopped, I had so many questions <laughs> and I, I wanted to move forward and, and I had really good teachers but still I, I, I felt like a li uh, I'm limited yeah. in terms of exploring the world. And uh, in Hungary actually there's a very nice initiative that was quite successful so now it's spread out throughout Europe uh, that basically establishing a system where high school students can go to university or research institute and, and do uh, research work there. Which that. is not really limited in terms of the if if its uh, structure or its length, like like in the UK it's more specific. You have uh, more specific uh, time lengths, but for example in Hungary it can be years of work while you are actually in high school. So I was working in a in a biochemistry lab for for two years while I was doing my high school. Oh wow, that's studies. really cool. Right, it was really really nice. It was sometimes weekend, sometimes summer holiday, but the point is that that I was able already to access great infrastructure start thinking like a scientist yeah excellent experience 
Yeah, it, it, it's really good, and the whole thing is really voluntarily, mm -hmm. so nobody's getting paid. The, uh, the scientists are getting uh, someone who is questioning everything, mm -hmm. which is a really good feedback, uh, and, and the students are obviously getting lots of expertise and, and experiences and access to expertise. And then we are also organizing different conferences, student conferences, where the students can present their work, and they get different extra points when they are going to university for that. Actually, the in many countries in Europe, the, the every year the very best research students is getting an invite for the Nobel Prize uh, ceremony. Oh wow, that's really cool. So so it's also lots lots of feedbacks, but basically the the most important thing that these students are gaining, and we are talking about hundreds of Hungarian students and and thousands in throughout Europe, is really the access to science early on, so they can. It's, it's really good for their career, career uh, selection mm -hmm. and also for networking, already engaging with the scientific community and, and the research world. So I, I, I'm a chairman of a, of a, of a board where, where we are basically organizing these events and supporting financially those students who, who need, for example, support for travels. Mm -hmm. So we are very keen on supporting people who are living in the country and they don't have a research institute next door. Oh, that's really great. And we work with a few um, charities that do similar things here as well, Social Mobility Foundation, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Native uh, Explorers. and um, Yeah, no, it's, it's really rewarding work to, to be involved in and see the scientists working with the kids to, to improve their experience in the science world. Yeah. And, and, and in many cases, these students become uh, co-authors of a paper. Yes. So, so they are actively contributing to scientific research, not only doing some, some academic skills. Um, and just to finish the interview, can I ask what your favourite thing is about being a scientist and working in your specific field? So I think from the very beginning I, I, I attracted to complex questions, which means that the whole life is a big challenge <laughs> because <laughs> the, that, that, that's how complex, complex systems and complex diseases works, that there is no single answer and no single method how you can uh, do that. So basically what, what really drives me is to develop new methods mm -hmm. uh, that can help us to understand these complex things and, and building, putting my uh, contribution to the big building of science uh, to, to move forward. And uh, basically one of the key drives in, in my life is to uh, help others to do that. So we have lots of things that we are doing is, is available for the community. Everybody right. can use it open access. That's really important. But we also have specific uh, research questions. And um, for me, in the last couple of years and for the upcoming couple of years, um, this inflammatory bowel disease is, 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 is quite, quite important for me because basically there's no cure for that. Mm -hmm. um, people usually develop this either around 10 years old or in 20s, 30s, and basically then you have it for lifelong. And there are better and better medications that can help when, when there, there are issues uh, with this disease, but it would be really nice to identify risk factors who can really develop this disease mm -hmm. and basically stop it at that point before actually they develop the disease. Or when some of the drugs are working, what we can do, for example, with probiotics, yeah. to keep them healthy so they don't relapse, that's the term, that, that they go back to the disease state. Yeah. So, so in a way, helping people and also we working on something very complex with a great team that I, I luckily have. So when I'm going in, it's really about that, that also, not only scientific, but really social interactions to, to, to yeah. work with my colleagues. Mm -hmm.